0: Greetings, everyone. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons. I hope everyone had a great Labor Day weekend and as many Americans were relaxing with family and friends vacationing. Well, September the 1st, it marked the first day that the new Texas ban on gender mutilation care procedures began. So hopefully millions of Americans also celebrated this achievement in the great state of Texas, along with 19 other states in America that have also outlawed gender mutilation care. Well, unfortunately, public education remains in crisis. The radical gender ideology which fuels the gender mutilation care in America is being pushed by Becky Pringle, and she's the president of the National Education Association. The NEA is the largest public union in the United States, and it represents public school teachers all across America. Also, there's a story that will warm our hearts to the latest in technological advancement at the cash register. Turns out Amazon's Whole Foods has recently announced that it'll be rolling out its new palm scanner marked-of-the-beast-like prototype. You won't even need to reach for your credit card to check out anymore. You just wave your hand and check out. Well, how cool is that? And finally, former Marine and Washington State high school football coach Joe Kennedy, after a seven-year battle which went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, well, he's coaching again and praying for his team at the 50-yard line after each game. All of this and the bigger picture on today's edition of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars with your host Jeffrey K Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. So tired. Well, it turns out that the Texas Supreme Court, they're going to allow the law which bans gender affirming care for transgender minors to take effect. And it's going to take effect. And by the time you're listening to this, it's already taken effect. Uh, That was on September the 1st. The Texas Supreme Court allowed a new state law banning gender affirming or gender mutilation, which I like to affectionately call it, care for minors to take effect. And that was this last Friday. And it set up Texas to be the most populous state with these restrictions in place uh, for transgender children. There are now currently more than 20 states that have adopted laws to ban uh, some aspect of gender-affirming care for minors. Uh, The Texas law is going to prevent transgender minors from accessing hormone therapies Puberty blockers and transition surgeries. And that's why I affectionately refer to it as gender mutilation care, which is exactly what it is. Even though medical experts say such surgical procedures are rarely performed. Hmm. Well, not true. That is going on. And that's why these laws are important uh, to be put in place. The quote Texas kids are safer today because of the Supreme Court ruling, unquote, said uh, Jonathan Covey, policy director of the Texas Values, a conservative group that supported the law. Uh, quote, protecting children from harmful and dangerous gender transition surgeries and puberty blockers is in the best interests of the child and something we all agree on. I mean, folks, can't we just let children be children? You know, if they want to go through this uh, surgery and all these different procedures after they're 18, after they become legal adults, well, they can go ahead and do that. But please, let's let children be children and let's protect them. And that's what Texas is doing. So we're going to say, good job, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. All right, good job. Yeah, we applaud you. Okay, thank you. That's enough of that. Now, we're going to listen to this piece here. Anne Marie Green is the uh, reporter with CBS News. Uh, This is a July 6, 2023 piece uh, that has to do with states all across the United States that are now banning uh, gender mutilation care. Let's take a listen to this. This is cut 1A.
1: Anne-Marie has more on the efforts by multiple states to restrict access to surgeries and hormone therapies. Anne-Marie? yep. in fact, Ed, 20 U.S. states have passed gender-affirming care bans for minors. 31% of transgender youth live in these states. That's according to a Williams Institute study. And these laws include uh, bans on Puberty blockers, surgical procedures, and hormone treatments. Now, puberty blockers, a reversible medication that delays the onset of puberty, they are most commonly prescribed to transgender youth.
0: Well, that's where we're going to have to throw a flag on the field. Okay, there, uh, there it is. There's a flag on the field right there. I can see it. Yep, yep, yep. So, if you heard carefully, and, and I'm just going to say again what uh, reporter Anne Marie Green said in this piece: "Quote, puberty blockers are reversible medication that delays the onset of puberty. Are they? Well, we're going to run a fact check on that one. What is really going on here? Well, it turns out that the medical community." is going to make close to 1 million dollars from each of these transgender patients during their lifetime, a million dollars. And second, the claim that puberty blockers are reversible medication that delays the onset of puberty. Well, no, I don't think so. That's that's false. Let's listen to what Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, formerly of the University of Pennsylvania has to say about puberty blockers and the harm that they cause and do cause children. This is from Fox Business, June 9th, 2023. Let's listen to Cut 1B.
1: You bring in a kid and start the transition, that is a patient for life a seven-figure patient. According to Grandview Research, in 2021, the U.S. transition market size was about $1.9 billion. In 2030, it's expected to reach $6 billion. Joining us now to talk about it is Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, No, uh, do no harm, chairman and former associate dean at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Doctor, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Over 95% of children who start these puberty blockers end up on the hormones. And the hormones, as well as the puberty blockers, do produce irreversible long-term changes. Now, the argument that puberty blockers are completely reversible is the essence of, of Mr. Posner's article. And the point is they're not completely reversible. They have been associated with some really severe side effects such as changes in bone function particularly and also some even more troubling ones such as evidence of some swelling of the brain. There have been some changes in that have been uh, observed about the
0: cognitive function of children that are put on these drugs. Swelling in the brain, problems with bones, problems with cognitive function in children, doesn't sound like puberty blockers are harmless. So, yeah, we're just going to say uh, incorrect to Anne-Marie Green of CBS News. Over 95% of children that start puberty blockers, they go on to take the hormones. So it's a two-step process. First, they stop the natural puberty progression in children through using these puberty blockers. And then they give them the hormones of the opposite sex. So if you're a male going through the transition, they give you estrogen. And if you're a female going through this transition, they'll give you testosterone, among other things. Well, if the hospital starts you on puberty blockers again, there's what does this mean? Well, there's a ninety-five percent chance that you're going to be the million-dollar patient for life. And you heard earlier they were talking about the growth of the transgender industry. And that is so appalling to me. It's not the fault of the Fox News business that, you know, they're just Uh, reporting these statistics but to think that human beings are an industry like cattle that should infuriate parents that is growing over currently at a billion or a billion point five or 1.5 billion and then it's going to grow to eight billion in the next few years in the in the near future that is so beyond the pale that is so disgusting so revolting to think that they're giving these children these drugs and these surgery for something they don't even need. Now, we did a couple episodes back. We highlighted uh, Dr. Uh, Goldfarb, and more recently, we highlighted a study that was done in Sweden, a 30-year study of people that transitioned from the sex which they were born to another sex to the opposite sex. And it turned out that after that transition happened, they were 20 times more likely to commit suicide. So this whole argument, this whole argument about, oh, you got to do it or your kid's going to kill themselves. Actually, your child, when they become an adult, they're going to be 20 times more likely to kill themselves. And there's a whole story out there about people that are detransitioning because they're not happy. Well, Luke 17, 1 to 2. Take a listen to this. Temptations to sin are sure to come. This is Jesus speaking. And he says Woe to the one through whom they come. If it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea then he should cause one of these little ones, in other words, one of these children, to sin. So woe to the doctors. Woe to the therapist, Woe to these people that are telling these children, oh, it's not a problem. We'll just give you the puberty blocker, and then, oh, and then we'll give you the hormones, and then it'll be chop, chop, snip, snip. It won't be any problem. Then you'll be happy. I don't think so. 20 times more likely to commit suicide. Jesus was pretty clear. It would be better that the millstone would be hung around their necks and they be cast into the sea than if he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So, uh, wrapping this story up, gender mutilation care. Well, it's profiting off the vulnerability of children And did I mention they become sterilized for life? They won't be able to have children. Yeah, they're going to be sterilized for life. They're going to be treated as an industry. They're going to be a lifetime patient of the medical system. They will be dependent upon drugs for the rest of their life. And that's just not right. We're moving on to the public school system. Who is Becky Pringle? Well, she's the president of the NEA. That's the National Education Association, the largest union in the United States of America of public workers. And let's find out a little bit about who Becky Pringle is. She was born in 1955. She's been a teacher, a career teacher in the public school system. She's a trade union leader currently, president of the three million-member National Education Association, the largest professional employee organization and labor union in the United States of America. And what party does she belong to? Well, she self-identifies as being a member of the Democrat parties. That any surprise? I don't think so. The NEA collected $375 million in dues last year. And the NEA president received ah, mere pittance. Just a small amount of that $375 million. She received half a million dollars salary last year. The New York Post reported recently that the NEA head, Becky Pringle. Now, this was during the COVID crisis. She was collecting half a million dollars while she was fighting against reopening schools during the COVID crisis. According to tax filings, the NEA sent, and here's a list of donors that received monies from the NEA. These are lobbying organizations and uh, these are NGO organizations. Here's one called the Democracy Alliance. According to tax document filings, the NEA sent $200,000 to Democracy Alliance, a left-wing donor club co-founded by, you guessed it, your not friend and my not friend, George Soros. So the Democracy Alliance, of course, it pushes the Democrat agenda. And then they added $100,000 to the Strategic Victory Fund, a nonprofit created by the Donor Network that has boosted progressive campaign infrastructure in battleground states. You have to decode these words. Progressive, well, that's just a more palatable word for Marxist. Continuing, the NEA also poured $1.2 million into the State Engagement Fund, which has pushed cash to dozens of progressive nonprofits and initiatives across the country. So they funded more nonprofit pro Marxist organizations by giving money to the State Engagement Fund. The union also moved money into the Center for American Progress, American Votes, Emerging American Majorities, 1630 Fund, Voto Latino, Race and Equity in Education. So these are all the all different left wing organizations that they funded money into. And of course, links are in the show notes. So here's Becky Pringle in a speech in Florida recently. Now, this is back in July 2023. She was speaking to 6,000 delegates to the NEA convention that was recently held in Orlando, Florida. Pringle called on the NEA representative assembly delegates to organize for freedom, to teach the truth, for the safety and well-being of LGBTQ students, and more. And that's posted on the NEA website. Folks, this stuff is not a secret. And we send our children off to these public schools, which have become indoctrination centers. So let's listen to this. Cut number 2A.
1: In Florida, we will preserve and strengthen a democracy that was steeped in the power of the Constitution of the United States of America. It is we the people, NEA, we the people, we the people, all of us deserve the right to be truly free.
0: Oh my goodness, that is so arousing. Oh, she must be a patriot. She she must be a lover of the Constitution of the United States of America. Oh, I'm so glad that Becky Pringle is the NEA president. Oh, let's just, all right, wipe our brows. Let's just take a deep breath. Let's see what else she has to say.
1: done in this moment in this state where the LGBTQ plus community especially those who are transgender face relentless attacks we will fight for the right of every student and every educator to stand completely in their authenticity of who they know themselves to be.
0: Well, a couple of things to unpack here. She's in the state of Florida and she's saying, oh, terrible, terrible. The laws in Florida, terrible that they're pushing back on gender mutilation care, but we're going to stand. Now, this is very interesting. She says, we're going to stand for the LGBT students. And she also says, and the educators. Did you catch that? So what she's saying is, hey, if you're a gay teacher, you're welcome You know, come to school in your pink hair and put your pride flag up on the wall during June or earlier and wave it around the classroom and teach your kids about pride and gay sexuality and 10 or 12 other strange terms like intersex and intersectionality and all sorts of things. Yes. We are encouraging that sort of behavior from our teachers, and we are encouraging our students to embrace it. Hey, they're just kids. You know, when I was a child going to school, they told us about puberty. And they told us before puberty came, and they said, it's going to be very awkward. You're going to feel uncomfortable. Things are going to change, but you're going to get through it. It's not going to be the end of your life. And guess what? We're adults. We've been through it. And we're still here. You'll get through it. But today, they don't even use the word puberty. No. They want children to listen to all this indoctrination about LGBTQ plus ABC, baby. One, two, three, you and me. And they want children to Just drink it all in and embrace this radical ideology that is coming down right from the top. Becky Pringle, the president of the National Education Association. And none of this is secret. It's right there on their website. So they're no longer teaching or they're no longer teaching children how to read, write, do math, and have the prerequisite skills in order to either go on to higher education or to be further trained by a private company. Public education is now a social justice incubator. It's a social experiment, and the children of America are the subjects of the experiment. More clearly, public education is a woke indoctrination center, where critical race theory and the radical LGBTQ plus agenda, along with other Democrat party agenda items, that, well, they're all encouraged to thrive in these indoctrination centers. And on top of all this, well, your tax dollars pay for this indoctrination in the public education centers. It's your tax dollars that pay the teachers their salaries, and then out of those salaries come the union dues, the $375 million that goes to the NEA and the half a million uh, annual salary that goes to Becky Pringle. Well, that all comes from the public coffers, which comes from your tax dollars. And that's a comforting thought, isn't it? Well, let's move on to this further opening of the Pandora's box or this further shining light into the corners of darkness. Any social justice trainer admits critical race theory in K 12, despite claims by union boss Becky Pringle. So apparently, Becky Pringle is saying, No, we're not teaching uh, CRT. No, no, we're not teaching. Uh, Critical race theory here. No, don't look behind that curtain. Well, here's a National Education Association teacher, C. Scott Miller. And he is a self-avowed social justice trainer, social justice warrior. And he wants to teach the real history of America to your child. If your child is in the public K through 12, system. Well, see Scott Miller blasted opponents of critical race theory, an ideological lens that holds America and its institutions are systematically racist. The left-wing ideology also views individuals in an oppressor versus oppressed narrative. Now, where does this come from? Oppressor versus oppressed. Well, this power struggle you would think it's marxism but marxism is a at its core it's an economic theory and so marxism has to do with the haves the have-nots it has to do with class warfare but it's based on economics but this idea of oppressor versus oppressed that narrative is a power narrative and where does that come from comes right out of queer theory yes it does comes right out of queer theory. And we're going to unpack that. That was something that came out in the early 90s, and it's everywhere. You may not hear it cited, but as a ripple through a pond, through a small pond, which has continued across the United States of America, that thinking is everywhere. Well, according to Teachers Union, Miller is a social justice trainer at the NEA and its most powerful affiliate, the California Teachers Association. (laughs) Is that any surprise that he's from California? Well, people are leaving California in droves. They've lost congressional seats. He's also a fifth grade teacher at Walker Elementary at Santa Ana Unified School District. Let's listen to what Mr. C. Scott Miller had to say. Now, this is a video that... It contains the audio portion. Uh, There's slides that go along with it. But this is a training video slide presentation that is made for the consumption of teachers to teach them about social justice. Let's take a listen to this. Cut number 2B.
1: A safe space for you to be in. And we want to make it a brave space as well. So feel free to ask questions along the way. So we have to start retraining our brains to make sure that everyone has an equitable experience while they're at school.
0: We need to retrain our brains. Re-education. Hmm. I think I've heard that before. Can't have wrong think. No. Very Orwellian, isn't it? Got to retrain our brains. Hmm. Didn't that happen in the old USSR and it's still going on in communist China? I think it is. We continue.
1: And that we can show very clearly, whether it's on a race, sexual orientation, gender. We can show examples where things are not equitable. Those are that is a small list of all the isms that we have in the world, but we certainly, I think, are more aware of what those are since two thousand sixteen, when we had we had a, a a White House administration that brought a lot of these isms to the forefront, and a lot of the nasty that most of them have a nasty part to them, but they are still climbing.
0: So. Let's unpack this. Now, there's a number of words that we need to decode. They're typically phrases. At the top, he said, we need to create a safe space for you to be in. Well, let's decode the term safe space. Well, there was a slide in the presentation when he was talking about that. And in big, bold letters, you saw the terms gender identity, sexual, homosexual, heterosexual, along with 20 or 30 other words in there, which were sideways or at a 90-degree angle, which was hard to read, but it was all sexualization. And the slide was titled, Sexual Orientation and Identity in Schools. Well, what's going on here? Well, the translation, safe space, it means that teachers are being given the green light to sexualize our children in ways that are age-inappropriate. In other words, this is the end of childhood innocence. Well, I remember back, there was a children's rhyme at one time. You, You ever remember these words? What are little boys made of? What are little boys made of? Snips and snails and puppy dog tails. That's what little boys are made of. What are little girls made of? What are little girls made of? Sugar, spice, everything nice. That's what little girls are made of. Well, that comes from a nursery rhyme that was written, oh, about 1820. I remember that as a child. But today, children aren't learning that. In fact, they're not even learning that there's such things as boys or girls. You know, they'd have to rewrite this into some goofy transgender intersectional, uh, sexual orientation, uh, creepy uh, sort of nursery rhyme, which I don't even want to try and fake it and make it. I mean, it's just sad. But what we're seeing, again, is the end of childhood innocence. You know, he goes on to state, and this is C. Scott Miller. He goes on to state, quote, We have to start retraining our brains so that everyone has an equitable experience while they're at school. Well, this is another word that needs to be decoded. Equitable means whatever the hell you want can can take place in the classroom. You know, if you want to come in and identify as a dog, as a cat, as a giraffe, have your hair pink, uh, wear hardly any clothes, uh, Pretend you're a girl today, a boy tomorrow, uh, then transsexual then bisexual and, and pansexual and whatever, whatever the hell you want. Yeah, it's fine. And, uh, you know, it's all about you. It's not about teaching the subject matter anymore. It's all about children uh, expressing themselves and feeling equitable. This is what's going on. Uh, this is the adults abandoning responsibility in the classroom And letting the children be in charge by creating distractions in the classroom, such as pronoun wars. You know, what's your pronoun? What's your pronoun? Constantly keeping the teacher on their back foot and not being able to get to the material. Boy, if I was in school and the pronoun thing was happening and, you know, I was 10 years old, yeah, I'd probably try it because... You know, what kid wouldn't want to poke fun at the teacher? What kid wouldn't want to make a little bit of trouble? Especially boys. I don't know why the deal, what the deal is with boys. I guess it's because we're made of snips, snails, and puppy dog tails. Uh, We're a little more scrappy by nature. But here we go. Pronoun wars. It's an open door to chaos. A virtual Pandora's box. Well, I discovered this actually spilling over to the university level. And of course, all of this comes down from the university level initially. I mentioned queer theory in the 90s and the early 90s, and we're going to go deeper into that, and you're going to see how that has influenced so many areas, especially in the social sciences. Well, I discovered this taking place... At the graduate school level, this idea that the students are in charge, the teachers just happen to be in the classroom. Now, it was a bit more subtle at the graduate school level, but at the graduate school level, they called it student-centered education. Well, it sounds benign, but the result was the same. The instructor was no longer in charge of teaching the material for the class, It was all about the students. Student-centered education. And we may dig deeper into that in future episodes. And the next slide in his presentation, it said social justice. So they're more interested in teaching students about social justice. They're more interested in teaching students about critical race theory. They're more interested in sexualizing our children, putting the children in charge with their pronouns and throwing the teacher off to his back foot completely in sort of a defensive posture, a reactive posture. And uh, I can't imagine that when this goes full blown and we're getting to that point, I can't imagine much learning takes place. Is it any surprise that test scores are down? But the NEA doesn't seem to be interested in test score results. The deeper question is why. Why do they want to turn the public schools into social justice indoctrination centers? Well, perhaps it's because people uh, that are pushing these policies, they're deeply troubled individuals, and perhaps they just hate America and want to destabilize American society by reshaping it into a godless, Marxist, self-centered, highly sexualized society. Hmm, Perhaps. Well, clearly their goal is to destroy the innocence of childhood. Is it any surprise that in the last 10 years we're seeing more and more stories of teachers being convicted of pedophilia and having sexual relations with their students in grades K-12? to We see these kind of stories popping up all across America. We seem to think that as a society, there's uh, no connection between what's being taught in the classroom, what's being encouraged in terms of the ideology of the teachers in the classroom. We seem to think there's no connection between that and what is permitted in the classroom and the actions of adults who are convicted of sexual crimes against children. Well, if we don't act as a society to stop this sexualization of children in our schools, the next step will be the legalization of pedophilia. University professors are already trying to normalize this behavior. They call it MAP. Minor attracted persons, you know, if you give it a sort of benign title, if you study it and you write papers about it, then you normalize it. That is not normal behavior. That is not normal behavior at all. And children should not be preyed upon by pedophiles. But this is where the direction we're going. And that's a topic for future Narrative Wars. (music) Well, Narrative Wars continues to expand its audience, both in the United States and internationally. We just passed the 3,000 program download mark. So we want to thank you, our listeners. We understand that you could choose to do other things with your time, and we honor your commitment to free speech and the American values. And that makes us proud to be living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And also a big shout out to those listeners who are now following us on Getter and what was formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. I do enjoy receiving your feedback and reading some of your comments and even reading them on the air. Again, you can follow us on Getter and X, formerly known as Twitter, by going to at Jeffrey K. Lyons. And for more information, visit our website at narrativewars.org. That's narrativewars.org. And when you listen to us on your favorite podcasting app, please five-star rate, follow, and send our podcast link out to two to three like-minded friends. We really appreciate that because that's how we continue to expand the Narrative Wars Posse. We truly appreciate, again, your support. You are the reason why we do this program. And now let's continue. (music) Continuing now with our next piece well, we're going to move on from uh, public school education and we're going to discuss what's going on in terms of high tech, uh, especially in the Whole Foods stores, which are owned by Amazon. Turns out that Amazon says pay by palm technology. Well, they're going to be rolling it out uh, across the United States. Customers just have to hover their hand over an Amazon One device to pay. Well, how convenient is that? Let's take a listen to this, and this is cut number three.
1: You'll be able to pay for groceries at every Whole Foods in the US with just a swipe of your hand. Amazon says that the pay-by-palm technology will be at all of those stores nationwide by the end of the year. Customers just have to hover their hand over the device to pay. This method is already being used at 200 Whole Foods locations across 20 states, and you can also find it in other places, stores like Panera Bread. Hardware editor at TechCrunch Brian Heater joins us now. Brian, let's just start off. Tell us how this technology works
0: sure so in terms of the actual enrollment process the first time you go to one of these amazon one locations you wave your hand over it that will enroll it you in the program and then you associate that with a, a credit card that you have on file in terms of the actual underlying technology behind it it it's not actually getting a read of the palm itself which you know i think is, is what most people expect it's actually taking a look at
1: the uh, the vein patterns under
0: Wow, it's taking a look at the vein patterns? I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty creepy to me. And what about privacy and who's going to keep that information? And if it's going deeper into the skin, is that really safe? Let's continue. Underneath your hands, which Amazon is, is effectively saying is um, is... It's a way to do this kind of biometric identification without actually giving any uh, identifying information away. Huh. I don't know. I don't really want to do this. But, you know, there's always early adopters out there. There's already videos out there. Some people waving their hand and going, "Ooh, how cool is that? You know, I don't know. How cool is that? Amazon One Palm Scanners the company announced plans on Thursday to deploy the technology at more than 500 of its Whole Foods locations across the country, reducing grocery store checkouts to the wave of a hand through the innovation. And it's raising eyebrows. Yeah, it's raising eyebrows. Is that safe? I mean, you know, it's scanning deeper into your hand. What kind of... Frequency? What is what is going on there? You know, are there going to be uh, side effects uh, to that? Are there unforeseen circumstances and effects that are going to roll out? Do you really want to be the early adopter and uh, you know see what happens? I wouldn't, and I don't really feel safe about uh, that sort of information being stored. Some are saying that this is a beast like. Uh, technology, a mark of the beast-like te- technology. Well, what are they referring to? Well, that comes right out of Revelation 13. Now, some of you may be familiar with this and some may not. Let me just share with you a quick passage here. It comes right out of Revelation 13 where it talks about a beast uh, being on the earth, uh, able to speak, able to do miracles. We don't know what this beast is, but it says, quote, Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Interesting, the hand. Well, Amazon's not telling you to stick your forehead on the scanner, so, okay, we're not really there yet. And that's why some people are saying, huh, this is kind of Mark of the Beast-like. Well, let me continue. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. Ah, very interesting, because this was written over 2,000 years ago. No one can buy or sell unless they have the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one whose understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and the number is 666. Well, moving on to our final piece here, Uh, it has to do with a certain football coach and his name is Joe Kennedy. And he refers to himself as (laughs) being an average Joe, but he is the praying football coach that now he's able to return to the field after winning a Supreme Court case. It took him seven years of battle and then Uh, now he's getting to coach again. And it's been almost eight years uh, since he was fired from coaching for simply going to the field and praying. And then students later came and they joined him, but it was volunteer. Nobody was forced. They just came and did it on their own. And uh, this went to the Supreme Court. And in June of 2022, the ruling was in his favor that this was protected speech. Now, uh, he has gotten attention from national attention, in this case, uh, from the media, from Hall of Fame football coaches, players, and he even got attention from former President Donald Trump. So, Coach Kennedy, he's back now, and he reportedly uh, is going to receive a $1.7 million settlement. It sounds like a heck of a lot of money, but... Uh, A good chunk of that money is going to go towards the legal fees. Uh, Seven years of fighting in court, you know, that's that's not uh, pocket change, folks. He lost in every court in the country until it came to the Supreme Court last year. And uh, fortunately, he won. Uh, He now has a book coming out called Average Joe. And uh, it's interesting too. This this article uh, in PBS, September first, twenty twenty three. It said that uh, DeSantis was trying to uh, sort of buddy up with uh, Joe Kennedy, and uh, uh, you know, you're going to be a part of my campaign. You're gonna you're gonna endorse me. You're gonna you know uh, pose uh, for uh, a, uh, a photo op. Uh, you know, with the press. And he said. Uh, Joe said, well, I'm sorry, my loyalty is to Trump. Well, it makes a whole lot of sense because Trump is the one that put those justices on the bench which tilted the case in favor of Joe Kennedy. Well, let's take a listen here to cut number four.
1: Welcome back. The seven-year court battle over public prayer is over and on Friday, Coach Joe Kennedy will step back onto the gridiron. Kennedy's victory at the Supreme Court in June of last year was the culmination of a battle that began with the Bremerton High School football coach's silent prayer on the 50-yard line. Players eventually began to join him in prayer after games, and the school district in Washington State contended Kennedy's religious speech could have the effect of pressuring
0: other students to pray, later firing Kennedy and setting off a, long, a years-long battle, legal battle. Now Coach Kennedy is back and is reportedly set to receive a one 7 million dollar settlement
1: matt kraus serves as counsel with first liberty institute which represented coach kennedy at the supreme court matt welcome to you so i had an opportunity to visit uh and, and interview coach kennedy several years ago i know how much it meant to him to get back on the field uh can you tell us what it means for him to be back on the coaching staff with these young students no it's it's just huge i mean uh, as you've uh... Pointed out, this has been seven to eight years of a battle that has kept him off the football field. And it's not just because he loves the sport of football. It's because he loves investing in the lives of the players that are on the team. And so uh, he's as happy as a kid in a candy store getting to get back onto the sideline to do what he loves to do, what he uh, feels called to do, uh, and and can't wait to be a part of that, uh, those Friday Night Lights again.
0: I love this story. It is a win for religious freedom It is a win for the First Amendment. And I applaud Joe Kennedy, who's also a former Marine. And one of the things he said was he just could not give up. And so he took the fight all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. So, yes, we salute uh, Coach Kennedy. Uh, Good job. Good job, Coach Kennedy. We are proud of you taking the fight. Yes, yes, taking the fight all the way to SCOTUS. And now let's take a look at the bigger picture. Well, I have to say that Coach Joe Kennedy is my person of the week. He fought, here's what Coach Kennedy said, in a July 25, 2022 article in the New York Post, quote, I could have just rolled over and given up on coaching, but I'm a Marine and Marines never give up. So I went the legal route to regain my right to pray on the field and to get back my coaching job. In August of 2016, I sued the school district on the grounds of violating the 1st Amendment and trampling my civil rights. Unquote. Well, Coach Kennedy, he was fired from his job as a high school coach for praying on the field after football games. He never asked students to join him. Any students that came, well, they just came on their own. And his prayers were usually short, quite often less than a minute. And he would thank God for a good game and for protecting his students. Well, in reflecting upon Coach Kennedy and his actions, I thought about my own life. Have I ever done something publicly, which was an expression of my Christian faith? Well, I've had a few conversations with people in public spaces and talked to them about Christ. I've talked to people on college campuses and other public places. I've never taken a knee on the 50-yard line in front of a large crowd of people after a football game. i am come to think of it, I've never faced being fired because I prayed for a group of people. In fact, I have no idea what the emotional toll of a seven-year court battle can take and what it's like to make an appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Most of us Americans will never know what it's like to fight for years and years and years take a case all the way to the Supreme Court, and then win it. Well, Coach Joe Kennedy, former Marine, he never gave up. It was not in his DNA, and I don't know what church he goes to, and I don't really care. I don't know what translation of the Bible he reads, and again, I don't really care. And I don't know any details about his life except for what I've read in publicly available news sources. Coach Kennedy is what this country is all about. He stood on principle. He believed that the Constitution of the United States is still a legal and binding set of values, a foundational document for this nation. Coach Kennedy believes that the First Amendment is something worth fighting for, and he was willing to go through the personal and emotional agony to take it all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. So again, I began to ask myself, have I ever been persecuted for my freedom to express my religious faith in a public context? Well, I remember living in a blue state. I was ridiculed in my senior year in high school. I was called a Jesus freak. And as an adult, I was ridiculed a few times while working for different companies. I was called the holy guy around the office for not wanting to go out drinking or tell certain jokes and for not wanting to go out clubbing and getting drunk. Well, after thinking about what I experienced, I have to say that it's rather pathetic in comparison to what Joe Kennedy experienced because Joe took the fight all the way to the Supreme Court and won Americans are a bit more free today, and I hope that some of you will celebrate the win and honor Coach Joe Kennedy this coming week. But what about the larger topic of religious freedom around the world? Today, Christians are being persecuted all over this planet. Followers of Christ are actually dying for their faith and willingly giving their lives in the face of persecution. Here in the United States of America, we don't really comprehend the price that people are paying in other nations in order to worship Christ and refuse to bow down to tyrannical, godless governments. Well, the good news is that stories are beginning to come out regarding great victories in the darker corners of this world. This is a worldwide spiritual battle. And these battles, they're not being waged and won in courtrooms across the planet. These battles are being waged and won in the hearts and souls of human beings. Former drug dealers, prostitutes, drug addicts, criminals who live in nations such as Iran, they're being radically transformed by a message from a homeless Jewish rabbi that was born in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. Here's what a few people in Iran have to say about their Christian faith and what it means to be a follower of Christ. The cut you're about to hear, and it's a small clip from the movie Sheep Among Wolves, produced by FAI Studios. The person who's talking in the audio clip, well, it's probably a woman, but the voice has been altered and lowered so that her voice is disguised, and her identity is masked. Let's take a listen to this clip as we finish today's program.
1: Maranatha in the Church of Iran is believing what has happened, that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, and looking forward to Jesus coming back. That is our compass. This is the place we look at the world. This is our frame of mind, in the sense that when we walk outside, we really don't care if we get arrested. We're not upset if we get arrested. What's 15 years in prison compared to eternity
0: with Jesus? Until next time, for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired So tired